Hey guys, how you living? You doing well? Good. So glad to hear that. So, in this episode, my very, very intelligent friend, Alicia Rice Brown, Alicia Rice, Alicia Brown Rice, Alicia Brown, who is the beautiful wife of Tyler Brown, who actually designed our logo and our cover art for the podcast. And we talked about the brain and its weird quirks and all the things that it does and all the how it affects people around us and how we deal with people around us being affected by us and all sorts of good things. And I'm not going to give away too much because I want you to listen to this content. It was broken into two parts video-wise, but this isn't going to matter to you because this is audio. See, it doesn't matter. <sighs> anyway... Before we get you to the content, I would like to thank our sponsors, <laughs> the Atlanta Braves, Nike, and uh, Samson Headphones, uh, for hooking us up with sweet, sweet deals on all the cool things. Please go to our MI Stuff Facebook page. See, I'm getting better at it. MI Stuff Facebook page and like the Facebook page. Go to Kelsey Hudgens' YouTube, subscribe to YouTube channel, go to Podomatic for Android users or Google Play Store and the podcast app on Apple for Apple users, obviously. Subscribe to the podcast, leave reviews, let us know what we're getting right or getting wrong, listen to all of that, subscribe also to Sunset Grill. Subscribe also to Cast Iron Skillet, all of the podcasts and all of the things. Um, trying to think if there's anything else that I need to get out. Oh, patreon.com slash podcast. podcast Patreon. Just uh, Google that. It'll get you to our Patreon page. Uh, if you want to commit a certain amount every month for our content, that would be absolutely appreciated, but not necessary. Just... If you'd like to do so, that'd be a nice thing to do. And uh, also, I think we have a Patreon for Sunset Grill now as well. And there's going to be some more of those episodes coming at you soon. We have not done a sports talk in quite some time. And I haven't really gotten any buzz about doing another one. So that will more than likely happen soon, especially seeing as how there's a lot to talk about in my world of sports. I've just been sparing you guys. But that's going to be coming up soon. Also, please, please, please go to all of the pages, subscribe, leave reviews, so that when folks come and read about the podcast, they can hear people other than me talk about what this thing is. So, please, share all of the things. Love everybody. Don't be a dick. Make a choice to be a good person in a world full of people who choose to be a shitty person. Be good to each other. I think that's all I got. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to hold you from the content anymore. So without further ado, episode number 65 of M.I. Stuff featuring Alicia Brown. Enjoy, motherfuckers. Yeah, you're listening to the Gator, WKEL, Merle's Inlet, coming at you live from the Screwball Whiskey Studios, <laughs> or vodka, more accurately. Yes, for this the, evening. 
What is this flavored Red Bull and vodka? Mm-hmm. Nice. Terrible life decisions. <laughs> so with the terrible life decisions, JK, great life decisions. I'm very happy with your life decisions, by the way. Miss Alicia Brown, ladies and gentlemen. Hiya. Alicia Brown Rice. Legally, it's still Alicia Rice. I'm kind of a... <laughs> Let's get this a little closer to you. Yeah, okay. My husband's uh, pretty PO'd with me. I'm slacking a little bit. We're coming up on our second year anniversary of being married. and I still haven't found time to change my name, but, you know. It's just not kind of a priority right now. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> Sorry, indeed. So, we are going to talk about matters of the mind. Mm-hmm. And you have been studying matters of the mind for quite some time now. Yeah, I just finished up my bachelor's, looking at some master's, PhD programs. But first there's the GRE and all the other academic hoops you have to jump through. But we'll see how that goes. We will indeed. So, uh, you... What made you want to go down that road? Uh, psychology, you mean? Yeah. What made you What made you interested in the brain? Well, initially it started off as uh, nursing school, and then I kind of placed out of all of that at Tech, or Georgetown Technical College. Yep. Was accepted to MUSC and Clemson. Uh, took the offer from Clemson. And the day of registration, I walked up and was like, you know what? I think I'm going to change my major to pre-med, because why not? And then I got into some upper-level chemistry and realized that my math skills were really subpar. And if I continued on that route, I was going to kill someone. <laughs> uh, it, it's not funny. Like, literally, I would, I would have killed someone. Yeah, math's uh, awful. I'm, I'm the worst. God, I wish that. I were better at it. Um, but so, really, I think... It stemmed from some self-reflection and realizing that the nursing and the pre-med, all of that, was coming from a place of just genuinely wanting to help people. And so psychology allows me to do that, kind of without the math. Yeah, well. So, really, that's uh, where that stemmed from. Well, that's awesome, because I, I, I don't know if I could... I just couldn't do school. I was so mm. bad at school, and I would probably be better at it now. Mm-hmm. Just because I understand the importance of it, and I could not make myself understand the importance of it when I was in it. Yeah, well, it's hard, I think, too, when you're coming from uh, the high school diploma sort of uh, formative years of yeah. education, because you don't really get to choose anything. It's them telling you, well, this is the tentative list of things that you need to know, right? Yeah. So if you have any personal interests, you're not really free to explore those, which I think is kind of like a lacking thing in our current education Absolutely. system. But um, So it, it does get a little easier when you go to higher education. Then you have, you know, the first year or two bullshit courses that you have to take. Um, but once you get past that, it, it's a little easier. You know, you get to take your uh, bread and butter courses where... You're interested in something. Do you hear that? Yeah, I, I heard that. I, we, we're using headphones now, by the way, for those of you not watching the... Uh, it's horrible. Watching you hear the... your own voice. <laughs> it's like... Everybody freaks out over their own voice. And we talked right. about this earlier. Yeah. You said you were you were just afraid you were going to sound like a hick. Yeah, because I do. I totally don't hear it because at all. Because you do, too. <laughs> because I, I guess so. Yeah. You know? But you know what? They, the people love to hear Southern people speak. 
I think that it becomes a problem when there's a Southern person that says something semi-intellectual. Yeah, people don't know how to think it. They don't know how to accept that. Yeah, there's like a level of like cognitive dissonance. I hate that word because it's such like a hot word to use yeah. now for everything. But it's really true. It's like they can't wrap their brain around the idea that as soon as they hear your a dialect, they stop listening to whatever it is. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And for the record, because I can hear what my voice sounds like right now, I feel like I'm over-enunciating every word that I say. Uh, <laughs> usually, I'm a lot more slack jaw. Uh, I don't I don't know. I there ain't enunciate. nothing wrong with that. It ain't like we're sitting around here talking like this. Hi. We could if we wanted to. I might be by the end of this vodka drink. I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. There's a lot of it in there. That's just a bad call. but Indeed. Vodka not sponsored by Screwball Whiskey, however. or uh, It could be. It could be. <laughs> it could be. Or Nike or Samson headphones or the Atlanta Braves. Should I turn my head this way so they can see this? Samson? Yeah. Samson. Samson. Unaffiliated. Unaffiliated, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> unrelated. But we were talking earlier about all, all sorts of things, and I, I said that that would be a fun, fun thing to bring up is the fact that you're that we're talking about our dialects and the way that we sound. And obviously, I don't, I, I don't think you sound. Uh, you, but then again, I'm the same way. Like I don't, I don't. When I hear myself talk, I, I don't really think, oh, this is an this this is an unintelligent redneck voice. But I think that the people who don't hear folks like me much. Yeah. Have you traveled anywhere outside Never. of like? Okay. So I do have a Never. quick uh, sort of little story. When we moved out to Arizona, you know, I don't think that I really sound hillbilly. Yeah. Or redneck until I moved out there, and it became acutely and painfully aware to me that I do have a terrible southern accent. <laughs> And, uh, but it's beautiful. It's not terrible. Right. Well, it's thick. Yeah. Um, so I was waiting tables at the Mellow Mushroom downtown in Tempe, Arizona, just outside of Phoenix. And we would have this like lunch rush hour where all these bankers would come in, right? Yeah. And one girl was talking to me and she's like, oh my God, I love your accent. Where are you from? And before I could answer, she goes, is it Australia? And I looked at her, I was like, what? what? <laughs> and then she goes, oh my gosh, I'm so, so sorry. I meant to say, is it? And then she goes, New Zealand. <laughs> you're getting further away. <laughs> and so basically I was like, I really hope that you're, you know, you didn't go to school for language or dialect or yeah. anything like that. Cause you're totally missing the mark. Fail. Terrible, terrible. And when I actually told her where I was from, it's like, she didn't believe me. Cause I would lie about that. Um, so again, it gets yeah, back we, to that. we picked South Carolina when, when you want to tell a lie about where you're from. Yeah. Well, so I'm originally from North Carolina, but it's, I think close enough for comfort. Um, I do think that North Carolina has probably a little more dialects in terms of regional. And probably. Right? And when yeah. you get up towards the mountains, the mountains there's, there's yeah, there's big mountain difference. People. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's the same way in my family in Alabama. Like if you go, go around like Tuscaloosa mm-hmm. and where the college is, that that's a totally different dialect than that of when you get closer into the mountains where my folks are from. Like, yeah, hundred percent. You know, you get more of that like big city. Well, not maybe big city, but <clears throat> cultural melting pot. Now, you know? here's an idea. Do you think that where a person's from and their dialect and the way that the rest of the world looks at them has an adverse or positive or negative effect on where how they develop mentally? I don't know that I could say 
it would have a negative or positive, but I think it definitely, there is an impact involved yes. in that. Um, mm. I think that when you come from certain areas that are known for things, it's very hard to break away from those molds. Yes. You know, um, I would assume, right, that where's, uh, where's like, the, the space shuttle, where was that stuff uh, and centered? Was it... Uh, Florida, or was it like the Kennedy, the the yeah, yeah space center stuff, the JFK, right. whatever. Yeah, that's that's all in Jacksonville, I think. So wherever Somewhere that's from, I would assume that if you're growing up and you're like, I want to be an astronaut, that they would be like, that's so cool because it's a big sort of thing that's woven yeah. into the fabric of that community. You know, I think if you're coming from where I came from, we were known for basically three things, right? Uh, Kannapolis, North Carolina was known for cannon mills, so we made towels or towels. Towels. Right? <laughs> towels. We made towels. Uh, My mom used to spell a- it T-I-W-E-L. <laughs> Towel. You know, I'm not even mad at her because that's like how we say it. That's just what it sounds like. <laughs> um, phonetic, man. But uh, So we were known for that. We were known for condoms, and we were known for NASCAR, and uh, more specifically, Dale Earnhardt. Listen. Now, if I'd have said... Dale Earnhardt's it. Yeah. I, I mean, I know. I get it. But I, that's probably the most redneck thing that these people have ever heard me say. You're Dale, welcome. Listen, Dale Earnhardt <laughs> is it. Um, well, his mama was real nice. She used to uh, make us cho- chocolate chip cookies. And whenever we would walk around the neighborhood, she would always be waiting at her front door to like give all the kids chocolate chip cookies. So Aww. his mom was pretty boss. But um, That's awesome. But I, I would assume that if I, growing up, were like... I want to be an astronaut. It's <laughs> like, yeah, good luck with that, dude. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way. Uh, Bennisville is a very, Bennisville's known for nothing. The only thing we're known for now is Aziz Ansari, and it being the place that he moved from. And I think he actually claims Columbia now. Oh, really? I don't know. I, I don't even, I think that he's just shortened it to South Carolina. Don't do that, dude. But, you know. That would be like me saying I'm from Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I'm not from Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte. Charlotte is a, its own world. Yeah, but I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with shorting, shortening where you're from to for descriptions nature. Like as long as because I say I'm from Bennisville and everybody's like, huh, and I'd be like Florence, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I know where yeah. Florence is. But just the same thing if you're like, I'm from Canapolis, North Carolina, and, and you're like, there's. Like, but can we be honest, though? Because there's a big difference between Florence and Columbia. Oh, yeah. Now, you could say you're from Florence if you wanted to, and that'd probably be a little more accurate if you're from the Bennett's. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's, that's a big leap. Yeah. Let's be honest. If there's, yeah. There, there's there's about an hour there's about an hour difference there. But to, to say Columbia, there's... All right, the Columbia. If you don't, if you don't do the whole South Carolina, if you don't do the whole Gamecock thing, and you don't do the whole, I think Columbia is a young man's game. It just seems like there's a lot going on around the Five Points area, and if you're not involved, and I know we're bouncing all over, and I apologize for this. This is my fault. I'll take I'll take credit for this uh, veer off. But we are exactly. Columbia is just not. I don't think that's my my people, man. I don't think that's my my. My folks. I don't think it's diseases people either. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You ain't That's from not... Columbia, homie. Yeah. <laughs> Bennisville, man. Marlboro Academy he went to. 
Anyway, we're I not. I didn't even know there was a Marlboro Academy. I got to be honest with you. There's a Marlboro Academy, and then Do I they graduated teach you from this. Roll cigarettes or. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> What's funny is uh, the Marlboro Cigarette Company, I'm pretty sure, bought all of their tobacco in the early days from Marlboro County because Marlboro okay. County is our. Like, that's our biggest cash crop, I'm pretty sure, has been tobacco really? for years. I have yeah. no idea. It's, it, we, we do tobacco and cotton mainly, and then some soy. And that, that, there's, there's soy. a Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of, lot of agriculture in, and corn as well in, in, South, in Marlboro County. And I'm, I'm, I could be making this up. It sounds legit. But I'm pretty sure that that's where Marlboro cigarettes got their name, was that they, because of tobacco that came from Marlboro County. I believe you. Right. <laughs> let's just go with that. Let's just let's just pretend that so we have it's a disclaimer by the way. Now. We have a disclaimer by it's the like way. It's like the Bernstein and Bernstein, right? Bern Bernstein. Right? It's, it's the same thing. It's the Marlboro County effect. Um, done. The Mandalay Mandela County effect. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to the brain. Yeah. I think that being from certain places like that and maybe you i feel this def, certainly with me and maybe with you just being from a place like that and maybe realizing at an early age that maybe did you feel like you were in the wrong part of the world or not necessarily wrong part of the world but did you feel like you were just different than the people that were around you it it took me leaving to realize that i think but well okay so here's the thing with me um in terms of growing up, my family is predominantly uneducated. Mm-hmm. I'm the first to go to college, the first to get a college degree. Congratulations uh, for that, by yeah, the way. Yeah, thanks. On, and this is on my mother and who they think my daddy is, his side of the family as well. So either way you look at it, I'm the first. And then I'm only like the second to uh, get a uh, high school diploma and not a wow. GED. So... Uh, growing up, I was in a lot of like the honors and the AP courses. So I think for me, I always felt out of place. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't necessarily a product of my environment or the city that I was in. It was really just, I never fit in anywhere. (laughs) I feel this, I feel very similar and I don't know if it was. It got. It became more apparent when I moved away. I'll say, but I, yeah. I think that when I when I was there and in it, I realized that I was just putting on a show, basically for for most of those folks. Like I was trying to be more like them so that I would be accepted. But it, it took effort for me to be more like them. Like so, I, what 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 do you mean, like be like them? What did that entail? That would that would be like I felt like I needed to listen to the country music, or I felt okay. like I needed to. Be a good old boy. Be a good old boy, or, or drive the big truck with the big tires. And did you and, have a big truck with big tires? Fuck yeah, I did. <laughs> I had a. Here you go, rednecks. I had a 1997 Ford F-150 with a three-inch lift kit and 35 125020 Nitto mud grapplers. There's some redneck talk there for you. He didn't take one breath while he said that. That's impressive. Did you practice that before this? No. This, did you, yeah, that's no. That's just that's just it. I'm a car guy. I like cars. I did. I did a lot of. I, I was involved in a lot of. I, we had a car lot. I remember from your and, episode. 
Hey, we had a car lot, and I had that. That was my favorite truck of all time. It had a big white Oakley sticker on the front of it. And I mean, it was just, it was beastly. Could you afford a pair of Oakleys, though? I, listen, I did very well for myself back then when I didn't have when I didn't have any rent to pay and I was living at home. Man. I had two trucks and a motorcycle. What? Yeah. And plus, but plus, that, that was different for me because I did. I think you've owned more assets as a teenager than I have in my whole life. <laughs> well, I got that giant insurance settlement right. when I was 18 years old. Yeah. And, and an 18-year-old should never get any money. That's probably what ruined my outlook on what life was going to be like as an adult. You mean you just assumed that? I just would... assumed I would have money. Okay. Forever. I assumed, and I still spend money like I've just, just got got it all the time. But Man, that's a whole can of worms we can talk about. <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't know. That that probably pre like, mentally set me up for a life that I wasn't going to live. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Maybe my, maybe my subconscious somewhere along the way knew that life wasn't going to be like that. Yeah, you were like, bro, slow down. Yeah, but You're I about didn't. To fuck some shit up. But I didn't. Oh, can I cuss on this? Fuck yeah. Okay. Sorry, guys. Apologies, uh, children. Apologies, children. Now go to bed. <laughs> go on, get. Go on, get. That's right. So, you, like, speaking about things like that, now I, I think that having that amount of money and blowing that amount of money and mm-hmm. then in, inevitably going broke. And once you get used to living a lifestyle that when you when you know you run out of money you can just transfer from another account and it's having that luxury until the, everything is depleted really puts you on in a very depressed state mm. and when when something that you think is never going to run out runs out mm-hmm. and we mentioned trauma mm-hmm. and mental trauma and its effect on. I don't know, life or mentality or the brain itself or which way we were going to go with that, but. Well, so why don't we, uh, why don't we approach it from the point of view of trauma and how it plays a factor in how you perceive. There you go. Right. Because that's, that's really like sort of the, I think the little nugget of truth for any pathway, any way that trauma affects you, any way it branches out. Right. Yeah. Eventually, it's going to factor into how you interact and how you perceive stimuli coming in from your surrounding world uh-huh. and your environment and how you respond to it, you know? So oh, like, absolutely. So for you, you're saying that it was having money and it running out and that being a source of sort of depression and crisis, right? Yes. So another way to look at that would be like somebody like me that's never really had any substantial amount of money. Um and that being its own source of crisis oh, yeah. and depression, you know? So both of those kind of have shifted the way that we perceive things, right? Because but it sort of gets us to the same destination. Absolutely. We need more money, guys. We need more money. <laughs> we broke. Speaking of which, we broke. <laughs> we want to thank our sponsors, <laughs> Samson, the Atlanta Braves, and Nike, and uh, <laughs> Screwball Whiskey Studios. <laughs> <laughs> um, but seriously, though, that's a that's a really really interesting thing, depression, because it it is something that can you can get there through so many different vessels. Mm. And I don't know that. Do you feel like do you feel like most people realize that they realize what depression is and that they might 
they might be suffering from it? Or do you, cause I, I think I see a lot of folks around me that just react in anger and they don't realize that they're depressed. They're just acting out. Well, so I think that it's a distinction that needs to be made. First off, I think with a lot of clinical diagnosis, yeah, there's clinical criteria involved in that, right? So almost always the tipping point would be uh, an impact on your daily function. Yep. And that is really like the thing that takes you over the edge, right? So I think terms like depression or anxiety, social anxiety, uh, God, what's what's some more? Uh, Personality disorders, bipolar, uh, borderline personality, any of those, gaslighting, you know what I mean? Like you hear people that talk about this because they themselves have experienced maybe certain aspects of those illnesses. Yeah. Or they've had a loved one that has suffered from it or maybe uh, showed certain symptomologies of it, but maybe they weren't necessarily clinically diagnosed. So I think that that's something that needs to be addressed when we're talking about that. Because I think it's a normal part of human nature to feel a little down at times. Yeah, it's it's a natural part of the whole, whole situation. Because it gives us a jumping point for when we feel joy. Right? It, yeah. It helps us to define circumstances and make sense of them. There has to be dark so the light can be appreciated. Exactly. And I think that that doesn't mean that everyone's depressed. You know? Like, oh, absolutely. Like, maybe that guy that's angry and lashing out is just an asshole. <laughs> you know? Like, that could be a thing. Maybe it, it's nothing to do with depression. You know? Maybe it's yeah. a whole nother bag of things. But we, I think we all have our baggage. Right. And there's such a stigma associated with all of these illnesses and sort of like the carelessness that we use just in common uh, encounters with people. Yeah. And how we throw these definitions out. And none of us are, myself included, are equipped to really say like, no, man, so-and-so is, like, really depressed, you know? Yeah, you don't know really what's going on inside anybody's head. Well, we're not professionals, yeah. first off. And then I would even argue that a lot of the ways that we're diagnosing those things, it shouldn't be based off of, like, how many checks you can do yeah, yeah. for a list of symptoms. It should be more on a spectrum, I think. But that's just me. That's very true. I wonder, too, if, I wonder too if people who experience situations like that, like, uh, discerning the, or, or, or not discerning, but, uh, confusing what might be depression and anger in another person. If they're just like, for me, I'll be like, okay, this person really doesn't mean what they just said because you know, they're just sad and this is their way of coping with it. Is that maybe you or whatever, but I think that that's what I was literally to- about to say. And I'm just, because I, I feel like humans feel naturally like everybody else perceives things the way that they do. Yes. And this is such a good, uh, talk, like segue into the next uh, yeah. thing that we can talk about because perception in itself, like freaking dress, man, come on. Like online, is it? Or the, yeah, it's, it doesn't matter what it is. Does it? No, it doesn't because we all perceive things differently. Yeah. Right. So why can't we just celebrate it? on a human level 
and then go from there. Why does it have to be in this sort of like false dichotomy or like this closed system of outcomes? Yeah. Why does it? Why does it only have to be? Or, or why is it right or wrong? I've I've seen the one where there's there's a person standing on this side and a person standing on this side, and there's a nine drawn. Mm-hmm. But from the where this person's standing, it looks like a six. Yeah. From where this person's standing, it looks like a nine. Um, so it's like I'm telling you that this is a six, and this person's like, no, I'm telling you it's a nine. Neither one of these people are incorrect. But the part, the point of the 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 point of that story was that there apparently somebody drew a six or a nine. Somebody drew that <laughs> six or a nine, and somebody's just standing on the wrong end of it. Yeah, so like really that deals with uh figure figure ground perception. Yeah. And that's uh some of the laws involved with gestalt psychology. So really that's basically saying that the way that our brain organizes and stores information, retrieves it, is based off of like a series of principles. Um and so like the whole nine or a six thing, right? It's like uh those images that you see online where it's like when you first look at it, it looks like a landscape. Yeah. And the longer you look at it, you start seeing, oh, shit, there's a face. Oh, wait, there's a face. There's a face. Oh, my God, the whole thing's faces. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of goes into that as well. I love those things. Yeah. Gestalt, man. Gestalt <laughs> laws. <laughs> look it up. I love those things. The brain, the brain does that to us, and it makes us perceive things that and perceive things like outlandishly different. <laughs> In in some cases, like I've noticed that in, and I, I feel like I, I, if I went to a doctor, they would give me all kinds of, they would give me all kinds of words that would describe what I go through mentally, mm-hmm. but maybe I feel maybe they give you a lot of prescriptions. I think it would depend on the doctor. Yeah. I don't see. That's what I fear is I wouldn't mind talking to somebody about, about my, my, my quirkiness to find out if I am indeed as borderline bipolar or schizophrenic that I feel like I am. WebMD or, is like the worst yeah. invention ever. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> it ruined ruins people's, lives. It really has. And I'm, I'm just, I'm scared to go and talk to somebody and find out like if, if what I if what I fear to be true is true. Why are you afraid of that? Because I feel like then that I would not, I, I feel like then that I might lose credibility. Because of the stigmas associated with that? Yes. And I also fear that I would be forced to take some sort of medication. And I don't like, I don't like to take medication. I'm just so, I, I don't know why I'm so against that, but... Excuse me. I totally am for some reason. I'm just against the whole, uh, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go Noah Byrne conspiracy theorist here, Sure. but I, I don't know that it's a lot of effort to be a Noah Byrne conspiracist. I'm telling you, it, but <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to go down that, go down the rabbit Shout hole. Out Noah. Shout out Nora Byrne. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole near as far as he would, but I do believe that there are things that may be slipped into a lot of these medications that may inevitably uh, help out with population control, which is the biggest problem we have in the world. And I fear that. So, I, yeah, then that's why, see, I, that is that not a schizophrenic thought? 
I cannot attest to that because I am not uh, professionally equipped yeah. to attest to that. But I will say I think that maybe a bigger point with that, I don't think it's an intentional sort of thing that there's so many side effects. I think really it goes back to the fact that we as a culture really look for a quick fix yes. in America. We are instant gratification. Give me a pill so I can pop it and make this thing go away. Right now. Right Give now. me a mantra to say that'll get me through this or, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah. And really with, uh, with a lot of like the modern psychology stuff that we're seeing, I in my opinion, uh, it's repackaging and putting a new brand on. Shout out repack. Something that, <laughs> that, uh, that, you know, has uh, been around for a really long time. Yeah. And so I think <clears throat> in terms of just our society, it's way more beneficial to the average American to go to someone and say, oh, man, you know, I'm feeling really anxious. I'm having this... You know, these symptoms are happening to me on a daily basis. And then they say, well, here's this pill. This pill is going to fix all your problems, right? Because if you look at some of the other parts in the world, right, you look at like Spain or uh, Europe, they're still in this sort of psychoanalysis uh, approach to the brain and how we view things. And I think that that's great because... Everybody could benefit from just having somebody to talk to. I think so. Unfortunately, you can't bill that on an insurance. Yeah. Right? So that's one problem with the system that's set up. I think a bigger problem is the fact that a lot of the ways we're assuming the brain processes and stores information and retrieves information is based off of theory. So there's no uh, substantial empirical evidence to back that up. Because the technology that we have right now just doesn't do what we need it to do in order to fully understand a dynamic uh, system that's happening, right? So, like, when you look at any of the brain imaging technology, right, the best out there, I want to say, takes, like, one photo every second, which seems amazing. And it is amazing, but only up to a certain point. Because basically what that means is it's taking one picture per second in one part of the brain, right? Yeah. So that's assuming that all of the activity that's happening within your brain on a physiological level is happening in one spot of the brain, and that's not true. We know that's not true. Yeah, and the second is a really long time if you break it down. so long. There... In the time frame that you get one photo, there are so many different aspects that are happening within your brain on a cellular level. Yeah. Let alone, uh, like, so if you look at neurotransmitters, right? So a lot of the uh, psychopharmaceutical drugs that are being prescribed right now, think like SSRIs. Yeah. The reason that those things can, like, literally fuck up somebody's whole world uh, in terms of like, well, one misdiagnosis and two, just saying like, okay, well, you need X amount of milligrams when maybe you need this amount of milligrams. Well, if we had say a hundred photos per second, then we would know definitively, okay, well, this is how much serotonin is being released in this instance. This is how the body's reuptaking it. This is how it's being stored. This is how it's being recycled. 
It's so much shit involved with this. So it really is a guessing game in terms of drugs. I get where you're coming from, man. How it's long scary. how long do you think it how long do you think it takes until we get to the sort of the frame rate technically, mm. quote unquote, that we need to get to to where we can now is that a funding mm. issue? I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's a funding issue. I think it's an issue of we just haven't had that next scientific breakthrough of people that yeah. are capable of looking at something outside of the box, you know? Hmm. So like when you think about physics, Einstein was so big of a deal, yeah. right? Because he was thinking about things in a way that people didn't think of. Yes. Any sort of scientific revolution, there's always been that handful of people where they've got that side eye from everybody else going, you're kind of nuts, man. Like, no, this is the way of the world. This is the way of the land, you know? It's going to take, I think, having that one person that is like a physicist savant. Yeah. You know, that like just fucking breaks every rule that we have right now. Somebody who steps in with a new perception. Yeah. Imagine that. Full circle. Bam. That was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) But see, I, I really... I really want to think that the I really want to think that there is a group of these people, a group of these great thinkers. I just in this day and age, I believe that a lot of these people are probably tremendously anxious and and just probably I, I and I'm not trying to group myself within this, but I definitely feel like a lot of your free thinkers and your outside of the box people are probably the kind of people who don't want to, who don't have a lot of communication with other people because there's just not, there's no cultivating in there's no, there's nothing to cultivate that their, their conversation or nothing to cultivate their thought processes so that they can't really have the conversations that they want to have with enough people. Right. Because nobody gets what they're talking about. That I think, well, that could definitely be like a regional thing, like we were talking about earlier, right? Yeah. It could be that. I think that really that's more... I think it's more a problem with the way in which we have set up our education system. Yeah. Again. Because, you know, like, okay. When you have a group of kids... And they're in a class formative years, right? Yeah. Like elementary school, let's say. And they're basically saying, well, no, you have to solve X amount of math problems in X amount of minutes. Otherwise, we're going to have to hold you back. That's not to say that, like, little Johnny or little Sarah isn't capable of solving those math problems. Yes. It's just maybe that developmentally, they're not progressing at the rate in which society says they should be progressing. And I think that this goes back to a bigger issue with post-industrial society, right? Yeah. Where everything's like a factory system, put it on a conveyor belt. <laughs> Every That's <laughs> you know, the whole like, thing. It seems like the whole education, education system. cannot be like that, man. Yeah. If you look at some of like the biggest breakthroughs in terms of science or medicine or literature or philosophy, any of those things, you would have people that genuinely loved a topic and honed and crafted their thoughts on this 
for years, sometimes yeah. a lifetime. Dude, freaking uh, Darwin, you know, Origin of the Species. It took him like what twenty five years plus. And the only reason he released his theory is because some other guy was like, hey, by the way, here's my theory. And he had to go to battle uh, with, like, the scientific community to say, no, I've, I've got hard evidence. Yeah. This is my life's work. But even then, he wasn't comfortable doing it, right? The way in which we set up our education system now, it puts those types of people in that sort of packaging of ideas at a disadvantage. Yeah, I really, and I, I've, I think I mentioned this in another episode, is that if you walk into like, and I'm thinking about my elementary school mm-hmm. and the way it looks and from the outside and the inside, if you walk around it, it looks like a factory or a prison mm. because the, they're, they're trying to prepare children to, you know, it, it's, it's very factory worker, you know, it's very like... You walk into a school and the whole, how everybody's just, if you think about how the whole, the desks are arranged. Oh, it's efficient. It's very efficient. And it wants, they want to create obedient workers, like George Carlin said. That's what they're interested in creating is obedient workers that don't ask too many questions that do what they're told. And it, if you are somebody who doesn't, uh, who doesn't like, do well in situations like that, then they're going to hold you back. I was one of those people. I didn't like to do things the way that everybody else did things, and I got held back a few years. Yeah, like, see, I'm and, like the polar opposite, man. If I do well on a test and I get a uh, metaphorical pat on the back, that's like all the incentive I need to go forward. Yeah. I'm all about give me some hoops, baby. I'll jump through them. I love it. I wish I could do that. I just... Yeah. I, but don't make it too hard because my level of achievements, uh, I need. I need that to be... Really high, so I need mediocre tasks. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but but seriously though, I just I don't. I'm not the kind of person who I, I don't think I learned anything in school that that, that my teachers or that, that that the educational system that made your life better that made my life better or easier. Can I say? I think again, it goes back to that post-industrial society because prior to that. There was no shame in having a craft that you learned through yeah. apprenticeship. So you could make the fuck out of a table, man, and it would be like a beautiful table. And that's your life, and you can do that for your entire life. And now try being a kid and saying, hey, man, I just want to make tables to your parents. It's going to break their heart. Yeah, they want you to, they want you to do something that's going to make money or, or, or be a prominent uh, a job like the world needs or more just plumbers. Stability, you know. It's yeah. Like I think, I think, I think, coming me as a parent, I worry the most about my child having stability in yes. the future. And unfortunately, the way in which we approach things in our society, if you're really good at something with your hands, it's discredited or not taken seriously or not paid the amount that you should be paid for. And I'm sure you're absolutely familiar with this as a musician. Or yeah. someone that's a creative mind. And for me, personally, like, uh, the first time I went to college when I was younger was for fine art and sculpting and poetry yeah. and art history. And then one day I woke up and I was like, fuck, I don't want to teach. Like, what am I going to do with this? So I dropped out. But if we were living in a slightly different society, 
where those things were valued for what they are, but they have the potential yeah. to be, and you were paid for that accordingly, maybe I wouldn't have dropped if it If this were the, the, the 16th or 17th century, maybe. Yeah, before the conveyor belt, man. Yeah, before they, they realized that things could be done. Before people got mentally lazy. See, Ooh, I... Yeah. I think, and I am a very lazy person, and I say this all the time. We all are, if we're honest. I say this all the time. Like, I'm a very lazy person, but when it comes time for me to not be lazy anymore, I'm pretty good about about that. Like, I'm pretty good about not about stepping outside of that box. But is it is it always for something that you're excited about? Usually it's usually it's only things that that will benefit me or and I have no problem saying that because I'm honest. I'd rather be honest than like I think that goes back to that creative mentality. I really but do. yeah, and I just can't I can't help it. I don't think I can. I mean, I'm sure I can no, help it, but you can't fake interest and, and like intrinsic yeah. motivation. That's a whole nother thing. Intrinsic versus uh, versus extrinsic motivation. Right? Yeah. So, like, are you motivated motivated by external sources, or are you motivated within your own internal sources? Right. So, are yeah. you doing something for the sake of loving what you're doing, or are you doing something for the sake of an external source that's saying, "Well, this is the way that you should do things." Yes. And I, I'll, I'll even say that even even within the things that I love to do, like even within music, like if. Adam or Smitty brings a song to the table that I'm just not interested in. I just, I, it, it just doesn't, it's not there. It it's doesn't exist. It's never going to click. You're never going to sing it like it you just doesn't it. exist. And, and, and I mean, we can do that. We can do a few of those and I've learned a few songs that I just didn't care about, but because I know that they would. So I guess in some situations I will do, I will do something that I don't necessarily want to do because I know that, that it me it would mean a lot to somebody else if I were to do it. Mm-hmm. But those those things don't come often because of who I am. Listen, man, secretly I know you love it when I get wasted and I'm asking you to play Eight <laughs> Brothers or Flaming Lips or... Listen, because I, I love to do that shit. I, I love do. those bands. And those are always the best songs that you play, for the oh, record. I know. For the record. I think so. Get on board, guys. Get on board with the Lips and the Avets. <laughs> Seriously, though, I, 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 I just... I don't know if that's something that'll ever change about me or if I want that to change about me because that sort of defines who I am. And I think that I don't want to, and that's mainly the reason why I don't want to go and have a doctor tell me, you need to take this, you need to take this, you need to do this Okay. because I I don't want to change. I don't want to, Okay. here's the thing. I don't want to rewire anything up here. Right. Okay. Well, here's why I think if you went and talked to someone, they would most like, okay, Assuming on the type of person you want to talk to. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get that out in the open. If you're going to a psychiatrist versus a psychologist versus a counselor versus like a group therapy situation, yeah. it's all going to be fucking different, the advice that they give you. So go into those sort of situations with your eyes wide open. Because most likely a psychologist is going to be really quick to prescribe you a drug. Because it's what they know. Yeah, that's what they do. But first yeah. and foremost, they are a medical doctor. And there's no shame in that. And there's no shame in taking medication if you really and truly need medication. I think that until it gets to a point where it is putting your daily functioning at a deficit or an impairment, you don't even need to really and truly worry about the potential threat of being put on a drug. 
And a lot of the drugs that you're going to be on, so it, I know that earlier you said something about uh, a personality disorder, uh, borderline? Or, yeah. Okay. Here's the thing with that. It was borderline personality disorder. You're going to notice moments where you get manic. And you might be, like, super creative for hours, days, yeah. weeks on end, right? Depending on the type that you're diagnosed with. Yeah. More importantly, you're going to notice troughs of depression and not talking about your average sort of sadness. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Like something. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Your daily functioning. I've had I've had people that that bring it up like they can they can see when the switch gets flipped. Yes. Like they just oh, okay. they they realize in your personal behavior. You mean? Yeah. Like they can see like and it's it's I don't think that it's anything that they bring up right then because I think they know how I am and I'm just very uh, I'm right you're wrong in I a lot of situations like in a lot of situations and I. I I don't know. I've just, I've definitely been in a situation before where people are like, and I'll, I'll bring it up myself. Like there's a, there's a switch that, that can be flipped at any given time. And I don't know if it will or if it won't, but whenever it is flipped, you will, you will know it. We will all know it. And it, it's, it's not a good thing. And I, I don't, mm-hmm. that's when I, that's why I spend a lot of time at home. That's why I don't stay away from home a lot because I'm very unpredictable. The longer I stay away from home, it almost happens every single time we go out of town with cornbread. Every single time we leave, we, I, I'm, I'm away from home. It, it'll, it'll happen. And I'll just, I'll, I will, I don't know why, if it's just like, I'm uncomfortable that I don't have my home to go to. Or I'm uncomfortable. I don't have my car outside that I can go well, home so if say, I wanted to. Would you say that though you're maybe more of an extrovert or an introvert? It depends. So you're probably a mesovert, right? Because like everything else, yeah. it's not a dichotomy. Most people fall somewhere in the yeah, middle it's, it's, of two extremes, right? Yes. So you probably really enjoy when you go out for a finite amount of time. I love. I, I could play trivia for six hours. Right. And then when you come home, that's when you recharge your battery. That's when you yes. regroup. That's yes. when you find your sanity and your peace. Yes. But if I don't I ask, have this rechargeable, if I don't have this charging station, right? then all that's out the window. So on the flip side of that, if you were stuck in your house for a week, how would that be with no outside contact? I was... Would you be going up the walls? No. No. I, I, I noticed that I will, I will every day, whether I need anything or not, I'll go to Walmart every day. Mm-hmm. Cause you gotta get out just for a little bit. Well, just, just for a minute, just, just, to, just for a bit. And I don't really need to, but, but when the hurricane, when the hurricane hit, I was totally fine with, with like, I was totally fine with not going anywhere. I was 100%. I went to, went and got my groceries for, for a week. And when I got, when I got back to the house, I was totally fine with staying here. And I, and I think that maybe subconsciously, my subconscious is probably sick of this small, small space that I've been in for seven years. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel comforted. Like I, I feel comforted in, in this place and I don't feel the need to leave. I like knowing that I can, cause I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm mildly claustrophobic and I don't like feeling like, um, I'm, I'm being held down. Mm-hmm. But if 
I if I'm not able to get back here, then uh, then then I'm I'm not very good mentally. And I I told Adam Adam Ashley and uh, uh, Chrissy. They came up to Boone with us the last time that we went, and we got a house yeah. together. And I and oh, I listened to the episode of the Fallout. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was just that was that was an awful that was an awful situation altogether because yes. it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and and I, it's not a lot. It's not necessarily. Well, also, I think it needs to be said that like anyone that gets on stage or does anything creative. You know, yeah. there's a level of putting yourself out there and yes. the mental exertion that follows from that. People don't understand the energy that that takes. No, because it's not energy unless you're working a double weight and tables or you're in the hospital on your yeah. feet for like 18 hours or, you know, you're doing whatever it is. It's the same as how the sun outcome, right? It's the same as how the sun drains energy. Like you can sit by a pool all day long and do nothing, but still get exhausted. Yes. Though you've been doing nothing but lay around all day (laughs) just because that's how that it's that sort of energy. Like playing a show is like the sun. You're not really doing a lot of physical, physical, anything. I would argue that you are, but it's just, it's it's definitely a mental a mental exhaustion. Do you think you're you when you're on stage, or are most you of the time. a creative? Most of the of? time, most of the time I'm me, mm-hmm. and I, I, I will sometimes sometimes me doesn't work. Sometimes they don't want me. Is and, there a difference between you being you when you play solo versus when you play? Absolutely, there you absolutely. Go. There's always a difference, but I feel like that right there means that you're working yeah you know yeah there's always a difference and but like i said i'll try to be me i'll show i'll show them me mm-hmm. but usually they don't like me usually they don't want to usually they don't want the person who tells strange jokes <laughs> so that and, and I, I like to try to tell jokes that nobody in the room laughs at <laughs> and i don't know why i like to do that but i well, do you nailed a few of those at trivia tonight i gotta be honest yeah well i mean i try <laughs> I, I try to i try to just to, to make jokes that the, the only really intelligent people will get one or then the, the people who will get them will be on their way home later. And they're like, Oh, <laughs> that's me. I'm the latter. Oh, oh I get yeah. it. No, I, I don't think that's true. Sometimes it takes me a beat. Well, you know, I ain't got no shame in it. There's nothing wrong that. with that. But, but, but still, I, I just like, but I, going back to what I was saying about going to going to Boone after that, the band fiasco when right. Cornbread almost broke up, and that was just a, a shit weekend. For like the millionth time, basically. Yeah, but that that time, and I think we talked about that. Uh, I think we talked about that uh, one night at Tito's, that whole situation. But either way, that was that's beside the point. When we got when we got to Boone, I said, "Listen, I'm I'm." planning my my plans are is if you guys if you don't if like i told smitty i was like bro i will drive you can sleep (laughs) i want to leave after we finish the second gig and come home because you needed to i need to do that like that's just something that i don't think that that definitively means that you need to be on medication yeah and but and that's sort of why i want to avoid the whole medication thing because i've figured out what triggers me and i know that i can stay away from that thing i think the fact that you're self-aware enough to know that there are triggers uh and you can kind of maintain 
and control those situations yeah. means you don't necessarily mean Thank medication. God. Just saying. <laughs> also, Can I get that in writing? Also, I'm not a professional at all in any capacity. <laughs> <laughs> There's a professional out there listening somewhere. It's like, oh man, I can hook this yeah. guy up. I You're got like, him. I hate this woman. <laughs> but it's fucking up my livelihood. <laughs> but, but when I, when they found out when they when uh, Ashley and Chrissy found out that I was I was gonna drive back that night, they were like, oh, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I'm like, I, I get why you feel that way, but I am different. Mm. Like I am just flat out different. I don't know another way to describe that. And I can't deal with it's. And I was like, I love y'all. It's got nothing to do with y'all. It's just me, me being on a, I'm literally on the fence the entire time. Like for every minute that I'm away from my home, I'm on the fence as to whether, which side of the fence I'll fall on. Mm-hmm. I would just rather if I fall on the wrong side of this fence, I'd rather not be around Anybody who's not seen that before to witness the fallout. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause Adam and Smitty know how it is and they know, they know how I am and they know how temperamental I get when I, when I haven't had my me time mm-hmm. and, and, or in my, my home time, like Adam's like, Oh, you can't breathe out of the inlet. Can you? And I'm like, no, I really can't. Uh, you know, it, okay. So here's the thing. I don't think that there's anything wrong with, having sort of that uh, geographical security blanket, if you yeah. will. Is that a way to word that? Yeah, I, I, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, that works. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, assuming that you're still able to function and do the things that you want to do, particularly creatively. Yes. Right? Because for you, that's like a big source of who you are, how you self-identify. Yep. If you were in an area... That was toxic, which you've kind of talked about before. Yep. And how your lifestyle was before. Yep. That would be a problem. You know? Absolutely. If it became like a crutch. Yeah. Then it's a completely different sort of thing we're talking about there. You know? Yeah. But if it's doing something to better my life. Yes. Yeah. So, on that note, could we maybe take a break and then talk about self-betterment and... The haters. Absolutely. Let's do that. <laughs> We're going to take a break and we'll be back with you here shortly after a little intermission. 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 <laughs> BRB, guys. Thank God for NPR because there's not a lot of places. That you can go consistently and find good music. Yeah, that's true. For one place anyway. like Yeah. I sometimes wish it was a little more politics removed, but I tend to like the As everything pieces. else should be. Oh my gosh, it's just insane, the level of. Now everybody, everybody has a microphone now, and people who shouldn't be weighing in are, and... Everybody talks about how great America was mm. during the times of, uh, you know, the 50s, 60s or whatnot. And I mean, outside sure, I mean, of like out, minus segregation, yeah, outside and, of racism and yeah. and all of that Jim negativity. And, yeah. Outside of all of that. The it was only, great to be white. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 100%. If you were like, white back then, it was there no problems at all. And, and that is the huge Stain, and we have to talk about that too now that that's been brought up. Yeah, sure. It, I 
watched Dana Carvey stand up last night. I'm not sure I'm familiar. Dana, Should I know who Dana Carvey is? Dana Carvey was, was George W. Was. on Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. W. Gotcha. W. He, yeah, w. w. He was George W. on Saturday Night Live. Um, he did a stand-up last night and was saying that it, it so eloquently said that he was just so ashamed of how white people behaved in the past. Mm-hmm. And I have had a conversation before with somebody who both of us know and I won't name for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but who told me that when I told them, yes, I feel I, I, I have white guilt. Yes. I, I feel guilty mm-hmm. for, I feel guilty for the things that my ancestors did. Okay. And I wonder it, <clears throat> is that Okay. Is that right? Is that should that should I should I feel bad about? Because I do. Like I feel mm-hmm. bad about the things that my ancestors did. I I would say coming from fresh out of you know Clemson higher ed yeah. education like yeah. that sort of closed circuit of information that's being like recirculated. Right. I think that if you don't feel bad about it or if you do feel bad about it it probably reasons to say that the dialogue hasn't gotten to where it needs to be yet yeah i guess that's a good point like that that it's these things should be uncomfortable to talk about like let's be honest yeah it should be uncomfortable yeah absolutely but it's important that there's an open dialogue and a process that happens because otherwise like how do we come to terms with that? How yeah. do we become aware of that? And then how do we move on from it? I feel like that we're nearing the time in our country's history or, or future or whatever. I feel like mm-hmm. we're nearing the time in which it needs to be verbally addressed that, hey, I realize that that there were things that happened in the past that my ancestors yeah, did that, that are pretty shitty. Yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest about it. Yeah, here. well, you're absolutely right, and I just I feel like the the, the times coming in which people need to address the fact that yes, the, there were there are problems. I am aware of those problems, yeah. and I want to work to reverse these things. There's a structural hierarchy, and it's woven into the fabric of our nation. Yeah, and until we can talk about that openly. And have an honest dialogue and transaction. Yeah. We're always going to be at a disadvantage. And it doesn't matter the color of your skin, your shape, your size, your sex. It doesn't matter anything about that because all of that is, in my opinion, circumstantial. Yes. We're all different. We all bring different experiences to the table. And if we can't talk about them openly and honestly and ask questions about how we like defer yeah from the person we're talking to and then openly and honestly listen to what they're telling us back that's the a big thing i think yeah we're always not a lot of communication there we're never gonna learn we're never gonna grow and that's sad to 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 get to a point in your life when you feel like there's something that needs to be done and something that needs to be changed so that you can progress yeah in your own life so that you can become a better person and i feel like that the i i I just i'm 
and I see a lot of this. I noticed that I talked to a lot of the folks in the small beans, uh, discord, shout out small beans, folks that listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, talk a lot about this and that uh, in that discord channel and realize that maybe it's just the area because I'm very confined in this area to certain mindsets and certain types of people. But I just am very ashamed in how many people that I see on my Facebook friends list who are just comfortable with being a racist and not realizing that what they're doing is inherently racist and i just feel awful okay. about that okay when i don't say anything when i don't address it yep i agree and i think that it's worth saying that anytime you come from a southern sort of background yeah it's almost inherent that the conversation is going to turn to racism yeah also i think there's a bigger factor at play and it comes into like socioeconomic status right like yeah the region in which you grow up what's the average cost of living what's the average uh income how do salaries defer according to levels of education yeah do you know what i mean those are things that are worth bringing up and talking about you know like shout out small beans shout out to that californian mentality it's expensive to live in california <laughs> It's so expensive, and it almost guarantees that the people that you come into contact with on a daily basis, unless they were born within that area, they have an education. They went to school for something, right? So reasons to stand that their salaries are going to be higher, right? Yeah. It's a different set of problems that Californians face versus... When you're living in South Carolina and we're used to the struggle of living in a lower socioeconomic bracket, right? Yeah, absolutely. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, that's one thing to think about. It's not always racism. It's not always sexism, even though those are things that we continually see in the news. Sometimes it just comes back to money. Yeah, it is money. Just saying. Money changes a lot of things. Uh, yeah, it does, and so does education. You know, I I I, I think that education changes more things than money. Yeah, well, because you know, it's assumed that the more education you have, the more money you're going to make. Yeah, I I, I don't Typically, disagree with that. Statistically, I don't disagree with that at all. I I, I feel like in a traditional convention, and I, I look at education as the. As not necessarily like college education, but more life education. Right. As in that you don't really have to go to college to realize that maybe some of the things that are going on around you are just shitty things. Or maybe... Book smart versus street smart. Absolutely. And there's something to be said for someone who is street smart. Because that takes uber more experience points than... So, uh, uh, do you remember Kenny Ryan? From, uh, he worked at, uh, Dockside Bubba's for a while. He lives in, uh, he moved out with us to Arizona, right? I don't know that I knew him. Okay, so he, uh, lives now in New York. He does stand-up, killing it, shout-out Kenny, uh, (laughs) funny as fuck. Um, but yeah, so the last time he was in town, I don't think he really realized that I was, like, back in school and doing all these things. 
and he was a little buzz. We both were. But one of the comments he said was like, I always knew you were street smart. I just didn't realize you were book smart. <laughs> and then it was like his mind was blown. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, there's an individual that has the capacity to be both. Yes. But I do completely agree with what you're saying. It's two different uh, sort of vernaculars. Yeah, 100%. And, I, and just, just like the things that I said, like I believe that I got all the points now that maybe some of my teachers in public school were trying <laughs> to show me back then. Yeah, but you learned it the hard way. You yes. earned it. And I think it means more to me now. That, of course it does. That, 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 and I, not to say that it, someone who learned that in school, that it, that wouldn't mean, you know, that that wouldn't mean anything to them right. or, or as much. But I, I just feel like I get more out of this because I'm that person. If I don't figure it out on my own, I feel like I don't, mm-hmm. I won't learn it because I'm that kind of, that kind of person that just doesn't yes. want to listen to anybody I know best for me and. Well, I think it goes back to to like how you acquire information, yeah, and what type of learner you are. Uh, for me, I'm an applied learner, so you can talk to me all day. I can memorize a ton of shit, take a test, regurgitate it, and then fucking forget it. That's fine. But if I really want to acquire a new skill, I have to be hands on. I have to do it myself. Yeah. So at Clemson. I really kind of like like just dove headfirst into the whole research thing, right? And in the grand scheme of things, my GPA did suffer from that because I was juggling a million other outside things, right? But I wouldn't trade that for the world because where I come from, experience yes trumps any sort of like book. Absolutely, and you you definitely did a lot of things that I my anxiety would not allow me to do. <laughs> Like I, I would not have been able to go to California and I, give a presentation. Uh, California was pretty chill. It was just like a room of, like a couple hundred people that were hammered and uh, would just kind of like walk by your poster and go, "Oh, that's cool. Tell me more about that." DC was the one for me. Uh, that was really terrifying, uh, and that was the JCCAP Future Directions Forum. Which was basically the journal for, journal for childhood and adolescent clinical psychology, and I had pl- applied my senior thesis research for uh, uh, stigma. Yeah. And that was fucking stressful as fuck. Like, how did you make it through that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I obsessed and uh, fixated for a couple months prior, uh, but I did have a couple people shout out Marshall Staten. Shout out Eric Hall. Shout out any other professional or paraprofessional that I reached out to and was neurotic about for advice. Uh, Because they really helped me kind of put things into perspective and focus. And honestly, when I got there about 15 minutes before presenting, which was on like a... uh, one of those jumbo screens, right? Yeah. So there were four of those, and I was one of the four. And uh, it was like probably the size of this... Wall. wall behind yeah. you, and that's just everything I did over the course of a year behind me. Yeah. Um, so I was like really anxious and freaking out about just sounding like an idiot in front of these people. And also, it, I feel like I should say that I was the only undergrad. It was all like PhD and postdoctoral yeah. students. Way fucking smarter than I was. 
was like on every level and somehow dumb luck you know I had some mentors that just really helped me you know throw some Hail Marys I don't know how it happened but it happened but so basically how I got through it was I walked right up to the director and the editor of the JCCAP the academic journal and I stuck my hand out and was like uh hi I'm Alicia Rice and I want to thank you for your initial rejection letter for my submission. Um, <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> but of course, immediately he knew who I was because he basically was like, hey man, you just need to give us some like, real world data. You know? And I didn't have it at that point, but yeah. I got it in a week. But anyway, I thanked him for rejecting me. That's how I got through it. <laughs> See, a lot of people don't understand that, that that is how this whole thing works more often than not, mm-hmm. Is is you have to... Just like the lobster in the shell. When the shell gets uncomfortable, the lobster has to shed its shell so it can grow a new one. Yeah. And it takes un- it takes that discomfort and the negativity that you feel to push yourself into that next. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but if you're like me and you're self-deprecating in any capacity, it's really hard to put yourself in those situations. Yeah. But I have found... That, uh, and this is like sort of my, this is my redneck, uh, negative wisdom right now. (laughs) The more times I fuck up, the better I do in the future. Absolutely. That's just the truth of it. Like if I fail and I look like an idiot, I'm going to take some notes and I'm going to do it better the next time. Absolutely. It's a learning curve, you know? That's that's the that's the cornbread way. <laughs> that's what we do. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you guys ever listened to cornbread when they first started, but it's a different <laughs> cornbread from what you get now. Listen, I'm telling you, like in the beginning we sucked. Oh my god, it used to be like fifteen minute interlogs after we one just, song of just trying to figure out what song you're gonna play in next. We were just so drunk. Well, yeah, that too. It was a it was definitely a party. It was definitely just a party, and we we just I didn't. It was definitely a we're gonna try this, <laughs> we're gonna do this, and Adam and Smitty are like, uh, okay, and I'm like, dude, just trust me, let's try it, and then we'll try it, and we'll do it shittily ten times, but then we get it right, and we've just been doing that same thing for seven years. Yeah, but as you do that, the more times you mess up, the more times you try to figure out, Absolutely. can we play this song? Can we not? Basically, what's happened is like your set list has yeah. gotten longer and longer and longer yeah. and longer the more you get through it. That's Absolutely. the beauty of failing, guys. That's the, that, that is the there is the the art of failing. Who wrote that book? Oh, yeah. I don't know, but I'm going to Google it for you. The art of failing. You know, I think that might have been a book that was from a show. I think that was a book that Aziz Ansari's character wrote in Parks and Rec. <laughs> Um, no, because there's a million things that, uh, well, okay. So I typed in the art of failing. Actually, I mistyped it. And then it said, did you mean the art of failing? And (laughs) I, uh, got 6,340,000 results returned. So apparently there's been a lot of things written under that title. Like the best things that happen in someone's life usually come right after one of the worst things that has happened. Oh my God. A hundred percent. Yes. I just, it, when you, when you realize, okay, I don't want that to happen again. So how do I fix this? Yeah. How do I not look like an idiot next time? Well, that's usually how I perceive it in my mind. 90% of the things that I do in my life 
and ways that I speak and things that I choose to say come from a place of not wanting to look like an idiot. Yeah. I and, can relate to that. Uh, yeah. On I a just, visceral level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be something to be said for folks who want, who just, for me to be thought of as intelligent is more important than being liked. And, mm. or being, or being honest is more important than being liked. I, I, I've, I think the older that I get, the less concerned I am with being accepted mm. or liked. I don't know that I've gotten to that point of enlightenment yet. I just don't care. I just can't care anymore. I'm just fucking over it. I still want to be liked. I got to be honest. Hurts my feelings when I'm not liked. See, it, it, I guess it would bother me if I, if I found that somebody didn't like me, but I would try to find out what it was that they didn't like about me and correct that so that no one else could ever say that. Mm. See, I, I, I will say. I'm not going to correct shit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I say that, and I I probably uh, wouldn't either. I will ruminate on the fact that this one individual doesn't like me because of this one thing. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to change any of that. So I don't really know why I ruminate, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of my own self-deprecating. And and also that depends on whether or not why this person dislikes me is founded or not. Like Mm -hmm. if it's something that I can say, okay, well, I'm sorry, but... I'm not going to change. Well, that goes change. back, I think, to like how they're perceiving what yeah. they think about you and how you perceive what they think about you. Yeah. Like, for instance, I'm not going to stop saying, hey, man, you fucked up that, that song. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, right. I mean, not going to do that. Yeah. B- because this is my this is my thing. I'm passionate about music. It's just my thing. It's well, the only thing it. that I've got that I've ever excelled at. Yeah, really. you're good at it. And I appreciate that. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit back and let nobody let somebody not take my. I ain't my gonna let seriously. nobody. Careful, your redneck showing. See, it, <laughs> we told you it was gonna come out at the end. I'm not gonna. I ain't gonna let nobody. I ain't gonna let nobody sit back and not take my word seriously because I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Right. When it comes to that, like, and I'm that those things I'm not gonna change. But I will, if it's something that's like. Like I realized that I was a little overbearing with people in my life when I saw somebody doing something that I didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. And I was a little overbearing about saying, hey, look, I've got my life in order and I'm going to tell you how to get your life in order. Okay, so this is a perfect segue into what we said yes. we were going to talk about right before we went on a potty break, um, which is self-betterment. What are these creatures flying in here? These mosquitoes made it inside. I'm pretty sure I just had a gnat fly up my nose. <sighs> I was weird. Um, anyway. Self-betterment and being in an environment where it's hard to do that in a meaningful way. Yes. Because you establish these sort of systems and habits and it's hard to break. Absolutely. It's very hard to break. But I think more... What, Ryan? It's probably me. We lost some headphone feed there. Sorry. No, you're fine. Uh, so it's hard to break those habits and those systems, but I think more importantly, it's hard for people to perceive that you're changing those habits and those systems. Now, what do you mean there? Do you mean it's, it's hard for them to understand why I'm doing this? or, or uh... I think it's hard maybe for them to accept that you're doing it. Wonder why that would be. 
you know, there's a lot of, I think it's a, it's a multifactorial thing, you know. I think it could be that it's genuinely hard to, for them to see you in a different light than what they. Yeah. So for me, right. Okay. I'll take, I'll make it personal, right. Okay. When I first got with Tyler. Uh-huh. Uh, I basically dropped out of college and spent like the next three years blackout and had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and, uh, what was this? One of these creatures. The ghosts of my party girl past, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I like created this persona where I was a party girl and that's all I was, you know, like going back to what Kenny said, like, I knew you had street smarts. I didn't know you had book smarts. Yeah. Well, how could you when I was black house, like, you know, five, six nights a week. Yeah. People don't know themselves at that point. Correct. Yeah. You're not yourself anymore. You're a shell of a person. Yeah. And I think that when you move on and you try to grow, particular, particularly for the people that you're close with and the people that have been around you through the hard times, it's hard for them. Not that they don't want you to succeed. Yes. I think it's hard for them to wrap their brain around the fact that you're changing, which means your relationships with other people are going to change. Um, That's true. So there's a level of uncertainty and a level of fear, I think, that comes along with that. And I think it's scary for the person. Yeah, I think that they had a hard time as well. It's hard to change, and it's harder for people to accept that you've changed. Yeah, it it, it wasn't. I think that that's what made it easier for me to change was knowing that I was set apart. Because I think that that's something that's important to me is being set apart from everyone else. I'm the polar opposite. I've always wanted to blend in. I've always wanted to be accepted. And I've never felt like I've been accepted. Well, I think I felt that way when I, when I was at home. I felt like I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be part of the, part of the crowd or whatever. But I think now, the, especially over the last couple of years, I've just I've gotten to where... Like if a, a lot of people say, hey, here's this song or this band that you need to check out. Like I won't do it just because so many people already already have told me to do this. Mm-hmm. And like it's not special anymore to me that so many people have access to this thing. God, you're such a hipster. I mean, I guess <laughs> so. I, I, but I, I just don't. I think also that well, back to my, my point was that that people have an issue with. Me personal, me doing something in my life mm-hmm. that they feel like maybe they should also do in their life, but they don't feel like they're capable of doing these things, or and they that they to. or they don't want to, and they effort. they it's meet work. that with frustration towards me. Sure, yeah. And I noticed that a lot in the beginning, where people were like, "Oh, so you think you're better than us now because you don't drink anymore?" Uh, yeah. And I'm like. You know, no, no, I don't think that. But after you, after somebody asked me like a dozen times, I'm like, do you, you, I'll tell you the answer to that question is that I am better than the me when I was doing what, right. what I was doing every night. Yeah. I'm better than that guy now. Well, just happier and more secure. Yeah. You know, like real happiness. Dude, I get it. I was a lot of fun. It when was great. I was getting hammered. And I would go to the bathroom and make myself throw up just so I could go back to the bar and have more shots. I would do that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I spent I would like three absolutely years do that. doing that. I would do that. And a pro. Absolutely. How? They were like, how do you drink so much? 
uh, because it's not getting in my system. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. I would absolutely do that. Nothing about that is normal, and nothing about it is a long-term sort of path to happiness. No, not at all. And I, I was texting with somebody last night who asked me uh, a similar question, and I, this person will also remain remain nameless. But mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I said the thing that you need, the thing that there, this person was like, I, I, I saw a doctor. I, uh, you know, I think, think I need to make some life changes and I need to, I need to fit. I need to better myself. Basically. I need to do, mm-hmm. make some changes in my life. And I said, if you want the like lifestyle diet, like, like that kind of thing. Yes. And, okay. and I, I told him, I was like, there's nothing that you can do. That's going to fix everything immediately. Well, no, because a lot of the lifestyle and the diet things stem from bigger problems. Yes, absolutely. Like, let's be honest. Nobody goes out to a bar every single night, gets hammered, makes themselves throw up, or goes to bed every night with the spins because they enjoy the feeling of that. Yeah, nobody likes that. Like, let's be honest. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants that. I didn't like that. I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. You're happy while it's going on. having a child. And having someone that loved me and validated yeah. me unconditionally before I realized, like, what the fuck am I doing? Absolutely. <laughs> and I, and I, I, just like I told this person yesterday, I was like, I'm not going to tell you what, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But if you want my advice, I'll tell you what happened for me. If you want to fix everything in one fail swoop, I said, just go. And this person was telling me they, they have, they have an actual problem with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I said, dude, just, just, just literally, uh-oh. oh God, Patrick Hanna, we're not, ta- I'm not taking Hi, off Patrick. my, not taking off my pants, Will, Will Hanna's always, uh, wait, was it Will or Patrick? Patrick, but he, but Patrick, Patrick's speaking on behalf of Will. Go to bed. You got to go to the DMV in the morning. You got to get that shit done. <laughs> there you go, Patrick. Yeah, see, I, I randomly see this one comment that comes up on here, and I never respond to anything. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this person was telling me that they have an issue with with alcohol, and I said, if you want to fix everything in one fell swoop, I said, don't drink anything else. Tell everybody around you that you haven't, that you're not going to. Mm-hmm. And and this is this is only in uh, like I said this is I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say this to somebody on a whim. Right. I was prompted and I was asked for help and advice right. on on how to do what I did. Yeah. And I gave that answer. So I don't I don't want to want this to feel like I'm preaching to anybody out there or anything. Like I, any any time you have a problem with something that it, it is up to you to decide that that is a problem. I'm not the person to tell you that. I'm just literally mm-hmm. saying what I what I told this other person also, is just a. May I also just interject real quickly? Absolutely. Because I feel like it needs to be said. If you really and genuinely have a problem with alcohol, alcohol, and it's on a level where um, your doctors are concerned for your medical yeah. well-being, I would not advise you to quit cold turkey. I would advise yeah. you to go to your doctor and to withdraw under medical supervision because, uh, in fact, alcohol is one of the only mind-altering substances that you can actually die from if you, uh, if you just abstain. If you're a a true alcoholic. It almost happened to me. I believe it. Yeah. I I just think that that's something that needs to be said. Yeah. If you're, if you're genuinely concerned for the, uh, uh, 
quantity of... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Proceed. But that's what I said. I told him, I was like, dude, just, just prepare for the worst two weeks of your life. Prepare for the worst two weeks of your life. Prepare to be miserable. Tell the people around you in your life mm-hmm. that you may be a little bit more temperamental than normal mm-hmm. and prepare them for that. And then... On the third week, you get something that you cannot, that nobody else can take from you. And that is the real feeling of happiness. Man, that's beautiful. After you have the set, the two worst weeks you will ever have in your life, the, the worst 14 consecutive days in your life, on day 15, I guarantee you that you will, that that's something that nobody can take from you. Mm-hmm. That's something that nobody can take from you. And and any time that you are in a position to where you can be made into a better person by yourself, mm-hmm. I I I don't I don't see why why more people don't choose that route. Just to just to make just to make changes in your own life to the things that you feel are you are problems. And like I said, these are just this is this is custom to each individual person. This isn't one thing that I'm telling every person to do, this is just oh, for one of my friends' situation. In your life, it may be something different, like we were talking about before we went live with the fast food thing. Mm-hmm. Like that, It may be something that you just need to remove yourself from in, in that in that aspect. Yeah, so actually, like as you were talking about that, I was kind of looking up uh, just because I wanted to be sure when I was saying it. But Yeah. So like alcohol withdrawal symptoms, if you think about neurotransmitters, right? Uh-huh. One of the main ones involved with that is GABA, uh, uh, which really deals with the body's ability to produce, like, a relaxing sort of effect on your body, right? Yeah. So when you're supplementing with a ton of alcohol, your body lacks the ability to do that. So when you cut that out, right, that's, that's one neurotransmitter that's affected, but typically with lifestyle diet, all the things that go along with uh, yeah. alcoholism, right? It's not just GABA that's being disrupted. You have your serotonin levels being disrupted. You have your dopamine levels being disrupted. There's a million things that are going on in your body. So, like, yeah, it's going to take you a while to bounce back from that. Absolutely. Because you've conditioned your body to sort of think, like, okay, if we're... if your life and your lifestyle is a battlefield, in essence, right? Yeah. Your body's gonna adjust. Oh yeah, for sure. To survive, we're adaptable creatures. It's a beautiful thing. Yes. We're also creatures of our own downfall. So when you're, you know, self-medicating with all this stuff, it it really messes your body up on like a million a million. Uh, Physiological levels. Oh, one hundred percent. And I think, uh, and also to to ver- to to also go down a little bit further down this road. I told this person that they should. What I did after I stopped is I went to the bar every single day. Mm-hmm. Every single day, when I wanted something to drink, I had a no duels, mm-hmm. and and that worked. And because I feel like for me, the not drinking thing was more, or not. I mean, the the drinking was just something to do while I was Essential. hanging out with everybody around me. Yeah, for 
So I didn't want to remove what yeah. I love the most, which was being around all of my friends. Right. Which if you are a social person and you're doing it as a social thing. Yeah. And then it becomes a problem, right? If you stop and your mechanism of stopping is to abstain from your entire lifestyle. Then that's, yeah, that's awful. Well, of course awful. your serotonin levels are going to drop. Yes. You're depressed as fuck because you 100%. love being around people and now you can't be around people anymore. Yeah. Because oh, there's man. alcohol. And the candy and the sweets <laughs> and the cakes. Yeah. You don't understand the stuff that you you want and crave after after there's no alcohol because oh. there's so much sugar. Hey man, you want to talk about the addiction uh circuit in your in your brain? Sure. Because it's a whole system, man. It's not just like Okay. So Mine's we, got to be awful. <laughs> no, like I've got to have the worst addictions reward center in my uh, head. No, it's not. We're all sort of hardwired from birth, right? To have a checks and balance system in our brain. And it's the reward system, right? So anytime we do anything right that's going to preserve our own survival, right? Yeah. We are rewarded for it on a like a neurotransmitter sort of level. Yes. So one of the ways that we do that is when you're a kid and you have that first piece of candy or that first piece of cake... It's like amazing. It's so sweet. You get rewarded from it. Well, from an evolutionary uh, psychology point of view, that's because a lot of the high caloric intake things that you could take into your body yeah. were high in fructose. It triggers. Damn you, America. <laughs> so it triggers uh, sort of on an evolutionary level yeah. the circuitry that's already in, uh, like, developed in your brain. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Same thing with social stuff. Same thing with alcohol. Same thing with anything that we do. It all stems from some sort of evolutionary byproduct, in my opinion. I think so, too. And it's not just one part of the brain that's involved in it. Several parts of the brain. And so, like, if you think about a singular experience where you've had a good experience where you felt good about something, right? Yeah. That might be um, the equivalent to, like, a single thread of, like, embroidery uh, thread, right? It's like a single little thread. The more times you do that experience, the better you feel about it, then all of a sudden it becomes like a cable. All of a sudden it becomes like the cable on the naval ships where you see, like, the gigantic... Yeah. That's actually a really good analogy. Oh, thank you. Well Uh, done. Well done. (laughs) But like, uh, you know, when you think about drug addiction in particular, there's so many things involved in it, right? It's your environment. It's the people you're around. Paraphernalia, smells, sight, taste. Yeah. Everything feeds into this massive cable that you've created in your brain, right? Oh, yeah. That doesn't go away overnight. Absolutely not. So when you remove that sort of uh, experience, right? So just taking the drug away singularly, it's not enough to change a habit. Not at all. It it really and truly is a disease that we don't understand. Yeah. So I think it's amazing that you were able to. Well, and I think that I, I, I said in the one episode that I replaced it with cocaine. Right off the bat, well, so and it, it just had to be something else. And when I got rid of that, I poured it into podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, like it's, this is what I'm addicted to now. Like yeah. is just just the the, the the this fucking microphone, mm. and it's 
I realize that about myself, so I I don't you know I don't feel like that it's an issue. I would rather be just like we were saying earlier. If you're doing if you're addicted to something that is making you better, or if you're addicted to something that is bettering your your life, yeah, then that it, it, it then you can play that to your benefit. Maybe another talk we need to have for another day because I feel yeah, like it's sure. a whole can of worms. Would be uh, like social media. Oh Jesus! Because yeah, we'll definitely have that's to a whole another addiction, a whole another ball game. I think that's uh, going to be become very prevalent in the next. That decade. reward center is. It's the same. Yeah, it's it, the same. <laughs> that cable is large. Yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> These people. I know it's depressing. It is depressing. <laughs> We're coming up on about an hour and 36 minutes just now. Any, uh, Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no, by all means. This is, this is great content. Do you, uh, we'll wrap, we'll wrap this up here, here in a, here in a minute. Do you have anything that you want to leave in the brains of anybody who may listen to this anytime in the now or the future? I speak to the future a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think really just if you're struggling with anything, reach out, talk to someone. Yes. Um, but also, more importantly, be self-aware and trust yourself, you know, because any advice that you seek is only as good as the person that's giving it. True story. Uh, it's only as good as the circumstances surrounding it. It's only as good as you want it to be. Um with that being said, I think that if you're ever at a point where you're hurting or you worry about what you're going through or you're anxious or anything like that, it never hurts to voice that. Um, when you open that door and you talk about it, it's difficult, but it does get easier. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a psychiatrist, a psychologist. It could just be a friend or a family member. That's or yourself. Yeah, just be honest with yourself. I record things and listen to them back so I can hear myself say things that I need to hear because I trust me. That's why you don't hate the sound of your voice with these headphones on. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably true. So I'm like, you know what? This guy, he sounds reliable. Yeah, I would trust this dude. <laughs> I trust this guy. <laughs> me, I'm not so sure about. Don't I'm not going to buy a used car from him. <laughs> I can't even picture you as a used car salesman. Well, I used to be that guy. Yeah. It's funny. In another another lifetime. In another lifetime, indeed. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, man. Your kind words all the time. Appreciate you being a listener. Is there anything that you listen to or watch that you, uh, the the good listeners of this podcast, might not stumble upon otherwise? Uh, I know this is last minute. No, it's okay. Uh, I feel like a lot of what I listen to you can find on, like, the um, NPR homepage yeah. podcasts. But I really enjoy um, uh, Stuff You Should Know is a favorite one. It's just a lot of, like, stupid little tidbits that you can walk away from. And Serial uh, has a new season out. Listen to that. I'm big on that true crime stuff. And there's also... Um, a new podcast called Atlanta Monster, which is like mind blowing. And I apologize, you're gonna fucking binge it. 
Um, and it's really depressing because it's about like a child serial killer. Oh no! That targeted African American children in like the seventies. Oh no! That's just fucking awful. But it's great. So go listen to it, guys. Stay up all night. Sorry. Go listen to it. Stay up all night. <laughs> Unless you're children. Go to bed, you, you heathens. Yeah, please don't listen to that. That's like the man stuff. Go to bed, you heathens. Night, guys. Night, guys. All right. Well, thanks, Alicia, for being here, sweetheart. Thank Such a guys. good episode. Such a good episode. All right. Be good people. In a world full of people who are just choosing to be dicks every day, don't be one of those people. Choose to be the good person in every situation. Or just, like, talk to people, man. Talk to people, man. I mean it. Don't talk at them. Talk with them. Yahtzee. (laughs) All right. Peace, bitches. Good night.